Chandler, who's a pastor from Waco, Texas, one that I absolutely enjoy listening to on a regular basis. What he's talking about is this battle that's going on. And I love the part when he's talking about all the sin, all the things that we go through, and then we ourselves are trying to fix it. Because today what I want to focus on is the lie of success. We've been doing this series, Lie to Me, and so focusing on the lies that Satan tells us. And today what I want us to really look into is the lie of success. What our culture, what our society tries to tell us, what we're supposed to do to succeed. And in reality, when we watch that video, it really summarizes everything up for us in that we ourselves try to do everything to become successful. And the fear in what our culture teaches is what becomes success is idolatry. And so what I want us to really look at are two things right here is the American dream. I looked it up and it says it is a life of personal happiness and material comfort as traditionally sought by individuals in the United States. We look at our own declaration as we celebrate the 4th of July this past week. It says we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 1. It's right in the middle of your Bible. Just open up there and hold that spot. See, when I look at success, I look at different methods, and I realize that a lot of the methods that lead us to what our culture deems successful actually go hand in hand with Scripture. But where I want us to really focus on today is the foundation of success. Really what I want us to sit on is the motivation for success. What motivates us to succeed? And when we look at our society's definition, what it points back to is me. And so the lie that I want to focus on today is that you can do anything you want by your own accord. See, Satan tries to tell us that we ourselves can attain whatever we want in this society. We hear it from elementary school. You can do whatever you want if you put your heart to it. You know, the reality of success is that there are people who are just flat out better than you. I mean, have you ever thought about it? When I was a kid, I wanted to be a major league baseball player. Look at me. Look at a lot of the Major League Baseball players. Though that was a dream that I sought after, the reality of it is the only reason I wanted it was for my own fame and for my own fortune. And I pursued that dream until that dream was taken away from me and I finally submitted myself before an eternal almighty God and realized that I will have so much more fulfillment through Him. The free dictionary defines success as this. It says, the achievement of something desired, planned, or attempted. See, it is the desire that motivates us. But what we need to do is align that desire in the right direction so that we become successful. A couple years ago, I had the privilege of sitting down with an operator from Chick-fil-A. As I was talking to him, he was around my age, about 27, 28 years old. He had just opened a Chick-fil-A. As I was talking to him, he pretty much was telling me about how that was one of the worst yet best experiences of his life. Now, the reason why it was great was because what happened is he had this goal. This goal to own and operate a Chick-fil-A. 
to bring in the money, to bring in the wealth, to bring in the fortune. That was what he was pursuing. That was what he was desiring. But what ended up happening was he felt empty. All of a sudden, the awards that he was getting were not good enough. He told me about these cars that he won, these boats that he won. He was moving faster than any other operator at his age in the company's history. All of a sudden, those things were not fulfilling his desire. He then was trying to fulfill it through lust. He cheated on his wife with one of his employees. Almost ruined his marriage. In between all of that, he found Jesus. He found himself on his knees crying out because he realized what he had done. And as a result, he stepped away from that decision that he was making. See, the success that he was pursuing, that desire was something that left him empty. And my fear is when we pursue success with that desire, it becomes idolatry. Listen to what Tim Keller writes. He says, more than other idols, personal success and achievement lead to a sense that we ourselves are God, that our security and value rest in our own wisdom, strength, and performance. To be the very best at what you do, to be at the top of the heap, means no one is like you. You are supreme. Let's see what Paul says about this in Colossians 3, 5-6. through 6. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In that passage, the word covet means greed. In the Greek, it is translated to desire more. See, the issue with success is not the methods. The issue with success is the motivation. And true success comes on account of an eternal motivation that points everyone we come in contact with closer to Christ. See, if your motivation is in the right place, then your attitude will follow. So really today, when we look into this passage, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is success? Here's what I believe success truly is, according to the scripture. It says, success is having the peace of mind and contentment of heart that you spent your conscious hours honoring God. The result is eternal happiness, long-standing, and security. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go ahead and open up to Psalm chapter 1. I love this passage. In fact, this passage, if you read Psalm 1, it kind of helps explain Psalm 2. Psalm 1 is written to the individual. In fact, it applies to you right where you are. God is talking directly to you. But then what it does is it carries over into chapter 2 when it is making reference of us as a group. It's making reference to Israel really as a nation. And so what we need to do first and foremost, as we are looking towards success, as we are, are trying to uh, build our motivation to succeed, we must look at ourselves and really ask God right now to open up your heart, to allow your mind to be transformed, and to pay attention to what His Word has to say. The first word in this passage, listen to what it says. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. 
In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. To understand this passage, we have to go to the first word. That word blessed, translated in Hebrew, means happiness. I think we would all come here and say that what we want in this life is true fulfillment and true happiness. See, this passage here shows us and tells us what we must do to attain that happiness. And the first thing that it tells us is that success or happiness comes through God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What I love about this passage is it really just sets, sets the bar straight right there from the beginning. As it focuses on that word happiness, as it focuses on the word blessed. But what it shows us is this. And what I really think verse number one tells us is this, is that sin doesn't just hit you right in the face. It's a gradual pull. You see what it says? It says, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. What it is showing is a timeline of what our lives look like when we begin to sin. Listen to what James 1, 13 through 15 says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. There's that word desire again. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, when I was in middle school, I was like most middle schoolers, a little awkward. I didn't develop as fast as some of the other ones, and so really I was just a, an overweight chubby kid. My mom would just say that I was husky because I was her son, but let's just admit it, I was kind of fat. And so when I was a kid, I would try to do all that I can to fit in with others. At school, you had three main tables that you sat at at lunch. You had like the really cool table, you had the I'm kind of cool table, and then you had the I'm just kind of here table. You know, my whole goal was to get all the way over here to the really cool table. And so what I would do is I would just kind of associate myself with some of the guys at the not-so-cool table. I would then just to hear some of the things that they would talk about, and not th those things were not necessarily the, the best things that we should be talking about. And so what I'd do is I'd kind of make my way over, and I'd listen to them. And the next thing I know, I was kind of a part of that table. Well, all of a sudden, that wasn't good enough. So then what I would do is I would hear what's going on over here. Next thing I know, I would listen to what they're saying. I would just kind of try to uh, get in, fit in with them. And the next thing I know, I was sitting at this table. Now, here's the thing that happened when I sat at the cool table. is the reality of it is that those people really did not care about me. And what I had to do was I had to do stupid things at lunch. I had to say stupid things to other people. I really became a jerk because I wanted to fit in with these people. 
What ended up happening was this empty cycle in my life. I was trying to find fulfillment through other people who were letting me down. See, that's what that passage is talking about. It's what happens is we begin to listen to what the wicked are saying. Next thing we know, we are trying to be a part of them because we are, are longing for something more. We're longing for that acceptance. Before we know it, we are sitting with them. And the next thing we know, because of what I had to do to fit in, I became one of them. I became a jerk. I became a bully. I became a punk. See, it is no different than our regular life in sin. But when I look at this passage, what I realize is the reason why we try to fit in with the wicked is because we are longing for something more. See, the Bible says that we are relational. Listen to what Genesis 2.18 says. Then God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. See, we naturally want to be accepted by others. That is a good thing. God placed that in our heart, but he placed it in our heart not so that we long for that acceptance of others, but so that we long for that desire of relationship with him. When you look at the passage in Genesis 2.18, it doesn't say that Adam looked up to God and said, God, I'm alone. Can you do something about it? No, God saw that Adam was alone, and God himself provided that helper for Adam. See, our God is a relational God. Our God is a God that is on our side. The Bible says if God be for us, who can be against us? We have a God that loves us. We have a God that desires that relationship with us. So when we look at this passage, we realize that our happiness comes through following God, but the relationship that we need to attain that happiness is the relationship with God. So how do we do that? Verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. If you're taking notes, I want you to circle three words in this passage. I want you to circle the word delight. I want you to circle the word law, and I want you to circle the word meditate. I want you to do is underline twice the word Lord, because that is the subject in which we are talking about in this passage here. So all those things are supposed to be pointed towards the Lord. So what we see is that success comes through following God, but the second thing we see is that success comes through desiring God. We talked about that desire in James. It talks about that sinful desire. See, we all have a desire in our heart. But what we're looking at is what motivates that desire. What are we longing for? And so what we need to look at is our delight. Our desire is God. So it is our relationship with God that drives our success. It drives our happiness. So how do we know we need God? Have you ever thought about that? How, have, how has it been revealed to us that we need God? The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the one who places it on our heart that points us to God. So God himself attracts us to him. But there's something that we need to look at here. And that second word I told you to circle is the word law. See, it is God's law that allows us to realize that we ourselves are scum, that we ourselves are nothing, that we ourselves cannot attain that righteousness that this passage is talking about. And the only way that it can be attained is through God. 
Listen to what Joshua, the fearless leader of Israel, said when he talks about God's law in Joshua 1.8. He wrote, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. What he's referring to here is the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. This was the book where God's law was instituted to the nation of Israel. Now, where they derived their their law from was from, obviously, the Ten Commandments that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And he brought these before the Israelites. Now, the irony when he brings these Ten Commandments to them, the law that they are supposed to abide by, is that the people lost patience, and they begin to build this golden calf. After God of Israel leads them out of slavery by a pillar of fire, he parts the Red Sea. These people are so dumb that they want to build this calf that they want to worship when God himself has made himself available to them. You know, I look at our own life and we begin to focus on the lie that we ourselves can earn God's salvation. But the truth of the matter is that we can't. The Bible says that no one is righteous, no, not one. And so when we look at God's law, what we realize is God's power. Exodus 20, verses 3 through 17, lay out God's law to us. When we look at his law, we realize, oh my gosh, I can't do this on my own. What does he say? He says that you shall have no other gods before me. Idolatry is the one thing that our God does not stand for. Because what it is is an exact mockery in his face. It's as if when you see him on the cross dying for your sins, you were the soldier that spat in his face. You were replacing that in your life. Now the thing is, is there are so many forms of idolatry in our life that we are not aware of. But when we meditate on God's law, when we meditate on God's word, those things are revealed to us. And what we are supposed to do is to set those aside and allow God to be the one who takes over. He goes on and says that there shall be no other carved images. How many times have we done that? One of my favorite things when we go to camp is watching how the students freak out over their cell phones. It's actually kind of funny and humorous. The reason why we don't allow them to have them in certain areas is, one, because we're trying to create a community. And though phones are used as a device to communicate back and forth, I truly believe that cell phones through texting, and parents, some of you will agree with this, I think they're making our students dumber. We don't know how to have face-to-face contact with people. I can't wait to interview the generation who has only been texting each other and see how they do in a job interview. What we're doing is we're setting these people up for failure. And what happens is when you take that from them to create this fellowship, you would think that you just shaved their head and drew lipstick on top of them and that they are going crazy because you took this phone from them. See, now the fear in that is that phone can become an idol in your life. If you react in such a way where you need that, then it has become a replacement for God in your life. It says that we are to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Jesus said, you shall not murder. He said, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus set the standard so high with murder and adultery, he said that if you even look at someone with hatred in your heart, then you have committed murder against them. 
He said that if you even look upon someone with lust, you have committed adultery against them. That verse has become more prevalent to me in the last two weeks as I took a vow of marriage than it has ever been in my life. To think that if I look upon someone else with lust that I have committed adultery against my own wife kills my heart. And you want to know the reality is I'm so thankful for God's grace because I would be lying to you if I told you that I have not done that in my own heart. I'm not talking about looking at pornography. I'm simply talking about looking at any woman anywhere and allowing your mind to take that next step into sin. See, when we look at this passage, what we realize is that we are unrighteous. Is that we are wicked and we are in need of a Savior. And that we cannot attain success on our own accord. We cannot attain that happiness and it only comes through Jesus Christ. Romans 3.10 says, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. The outcome of our sin is eternal death. But the hope is that through Christ Jesus, we are given eternal life. Listen to what Jesus said about the law. In Matthew 5, 17, he said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. When we look at the law, when we meditate on God's law, because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of His great gospel that He lived and demonstrated and gave to us, we now focus our everything on Him. See, Jesus didn't say that we are to disregard Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He said we're not to disregard the Ten Commandments, but when we look upon them, we look through the lens of Jesus Christ, knowing that He is the fulfillment. He is the one. He is the greatness, and He is our God. And so now, all of a sudden, what drives us is him. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So where do we turn our delight? We turn our desire to the law of the Lord. We focus our lens, we focus our radar on Jesus. Psalm 37, 4 through 7 says this, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light. And your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Over the man who carries out evil devices. I love this because I, have, I can relate to it in my own life. As I focused on my own desire, I found myself playing catch before practice. I reared back to throw the baseball, and as I did, my shoulder blew out. See, I did everything that I could to follow my own desire, and it was in that moment that God really grabbed my attention, and I said, all right, God, you got me. What do I do from here? 
At that moment, I knew it was time to hang up the cleats. I knew it was time to focus my desire on something else, and my desire then became about honoring God. As a result of desiring God, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. I love sports. If anyone who knows me, they know that I love two teams in sports. I love the Gamecocks, and I love the Braves. I love sports. But what I was trying to do is use sports on my own desire rather than allowing God to fulfill that desire in my life. I look at sports in my own life now, and through Christ, I've been given the opportunity through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes to speak to different teams around the area. I have the privilege to speak before Blythewood football team, before the Blythewood football team, before every game, to travel with them to away games, to stand on the field with them during games, and I've had the awesome opportunity to disciple several players on the team. Started off going to Hardy's for breakfast on Thursday mornings, and it has accumulated into really meeting with the golf team and other athletes as we go to Bojangles every Wednesday morning. I would have never thought that God would have fulfilled that desire in my life. But that desire was only fulfilled as I turned my motivation, I turned my delight, I turned my desire on Him. And the last thing we see here today is that success comes through living for God. See, there's an action that takes place. Not only do we put our desire towards Him, but we have to act on that desire. We have to follow through with that desire, and we have to begin living for Christ. Jesus said in John 15, 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The action that we are supposed to take place, the action that's supposed to take place in our life is abiding in Christ. It's following Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. What are his commandments? It's the law. We are to abide by that in our life. We're allowed to influence our every decision. We are to go before God and ask him for his counsel before we make any decision. One of the greatest leaders in our country's history, as we look back on the 4th of July, is President George Washington. As he led the Continental Army, he was the one who was the great leader of our freedom. Voted the first president of the United States of America. But something that is not necessarily publicized about George Washington was his faith. This past week, as I was doing some studying for this uh, message, I found a book. It's the Prayer Journal of George Washington. It was found back in the 1800s. It was actually written in his handwriting. One of the things that was amazing to me when I was reading through this is that he wrote it at the age of 20. Every morning, George Washington was seen by his bedside, on his knees, humbled before an almighty God. And this is a prayer taken from his book that he wrote on a Monday morning as he woke. It says, O eternal and everlasting God, I presume to present myself this morning before thy divine majesty, beseeching thee to accept of my humble and hearty thanks, that it hath pleased thy great goodness to keep and preserve me the night past from all the dangers poor mortals are subject to, 
and has given me the sweet and pleasant sleep, whereby I find my body refreshed and comforted for performing the duties of this day, in which I beseech thee to defend me from all perils of body and soul. He says, increase my faith in the sweet promises of the gospel. Give me repentance from dead works, pardon my wanderings, and direct my thoughts into thyself. The God of my salvation, teach me how to live in thy fear, labor in thy service, and ever run to the ways of thy commandments. Make my always watchful over my heart, that neither the terrors of conscience, the loathing of holy duties, the love of sin, nor an unwillingness to depart this life may cast me into a spiritual slumber. But daily frame me more and more into the likeness of thy Son, Jesus Christ. That living in thy fear and dying in thy favor, I may in thy appointed time attain the resurrection of the just unto eternal life. Bless my family, friends, and kindred. President Washington understood success. President Washington understood happiness. And President Washington was the man that God used to lay the foundation for this country. And I truly believe that God blessed America because God found a servant who was willing to lead. See, because leadership comes at the feet of Jesus, it comes when you are serving an almighty God. It does not come when we step out and we say that on our own accord, we are going to attain that happiness for ourselves. No, President Washington did not do that. But he was found daily on his knees before an almighty God saying, Jesus, it is only through you that I live. And so God, live through me today. Have your own way and allow me to follow you and then good things will happen. That is where we find success. That is where we find happiness. Success comes after we desire Christ and marinate in His Word. It is in this moment we begin to experience God's richness and His great flavor. See, the Bible tells us we are to meditate. The acts that George Washington performed were not just once a week. It was twice a day. In morning and in evening, he found himself on his knees. The Bible tells us that we are to meditate in God's word. That means to marinate his word, to allow it to sink in to the core of who we are. When we allow a steak to marinate, it brings more flavor. It brings more richness. That is what comes as a result of a relationship with God. It is His flavor. It is His richness. So how do we find happiness? How does happiness come? It comes when we follow Christ. It comes when we desire Christ. But we will not experience His riches until we live for Christ. Are you successful? I'm not talking about your business. I'm not talking about what's in your bank account. I'm not talking about the investments that you have made. I'm asking you this. Are you really happy? Because true happiness comes through Christ. And it lasts every day. 